Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Monday, April 11th, 2022. My time flies. We're going to be talking about all sorts of important things coming this week. First and foremost, for a lot of listeners, this week might be a busy week weather-wise. Chance of snow in the northern plains, severe weather threats, all of that potentially coming. John Baranek of DTN Weather will join us in segment two to break down who should be prepared as this week gets started. And then in segment Three, we're going to speak with Jackie Fatka, the policy editor over at Farm Progress. She has been keeping track of lots of movements happening in Washington, D.C., and she'll bring those updates to us. Plus, we're going to speculate a little bit. President Joe Biden is heading to an ethanol plant in Menlo, Iowa tomorrow. We don't know what he's going to talk about, but Jackie's got some ideas, so stay tuned. In segment four, we're going to talk about some of the changes coming. Federal Reserve looking like they're going to hike interest rates and diesel availability in Argentina sounds like it's almost non-existent for a lot of growers as they prepare to get their harvest underway in South America. We're going to discuss all of that, so stay with us here on AOA. But first, we have to discuss the markets. On Friday, we saw the USDA issue their April World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. Traders were watching this report to see if there were any surprises. And Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk was one of those folks. Garrett, thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about corn on the WASDE report from Friday. Garrett, no real changes to uh, domestic corn ending stocks. Did that surprise you? Um, you know, not really. Uh, I mean, I think we could have gone either way. I think the one surprise is that we didn't see an increase in exports. Um, I think everyone was expecting uh, the the further reductions in Ukraine exports uh, due to the, the, the Russian invasion. But uh, we had the stocks report last uh Last month, uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a bearish report. They cut seed and residual by 25, but they offset it by offset it by ethanol by 25. But the interesting thing is is, is you know coming out of last month's report, uh, considering where Ukraine shipments were versus what the USDA estimate was, uh, there was about a difference of about six million metric ton. Um, you know, and what we know now versus what we know then, um, the expectations last month were, well, Ukraine's not going to ship anything, uh, the port, seaports are closed, et cetera, et cetera. Now we know that they're shipping out a little bit via rail, the talk today, maybe they can ship out, you know, a half million metric ton a month, uh, maybe if they can really kind of improve the situation or uh, seek out all their alternatives, they could maybe ship 2 million metric ton a month. Um, before the Russian invasion, they were, they were shipping 6 million metric ton a month. But uh, on Friday, the USDA cut the Ukraine exports by 4.5 million metric ton to 23 million metric ton. And, and they cut China corn imports by 3 million metric ton to 23 million metric ton. So what I told customers, in my opinion, uh, I think, you know, Basically, coming out of the Ukraine situation, you know, everyone expected that this five to six million metric ton of unshipped corn to China would eventually come to the U.S. And that what the USDA is saying is no, China's just not going to buy it. They lowered their corn imports, they lowered the Ukraine imports, and basically it was kind of an aggressive move. Um, but that basically is how they got the S and D to work. Now, the uh, fly in the ointment in that is, well, we had a million metric ton corn sale to China about 10 days ago, and we had a million metric ton corn sale to China this morning. So it, it, it does look like they're, they're buying, you know, they're, they are shifting to U.S. corn. Now, that being said, um, you know, U.S. commitments to, to China are well under this point last year, but, um, you know, it, Obviously, these prices aren't deterring Chinese purchases, um, and uh, you know I think that you know there is some risk down the road that you know China could end up importing 25, 26 million metric ton if if they continue to make purchases. Now you know the trade quote unquote chatter is that you know there's another million or two million metric ton of, of sales that have to be announced, um, and if they show up, then and then it'll make these USDA numbers you know make even look out even more outdated. Mm -hmm. 
That makes sense. Garrett, with all of that in play, we're seeing new crop corn start to rally on the old crop. Where do you see this new crop market headed? And are you selling yet? Um, you know, this next area resistance is 725. And I will say a part of this is, is money flow in the middle of the index rolls that are rolling out of the May contract. The majority of that's going to July. But there's also some people that, I mean, the story is very dynamic in, in December corn. So I think the money, the money manager is rolling length out to December. So it's a function of order flow, if you will. I will say that it's fairly interesting. The high today in May corn is 778 on a spot continuation chart. We've only had four other times this year. That 774 and three quarters level is last year's high. And we've only had four days this year where we've been able to trade above that 774 and three quarters level, and we've yet to close above it. So the fact that we've kind of traded that 778 level today and found sellers again uh, is pretty interesting, and, and the more times we fail at this level, the more resistance we get. Um, we have not made any uh, sales here as of late. Um, we're kind of holding off, but the one recommendation I, I do say is, is every, every time I talk about making a sale, make sure you have some call coverage in place because, um, you know, it's, it's April 11th. We've got 2% of the corn crop in the ground. Um, you know, the east is wet. This market is amplified. Any sort of weather event will have the market jittery. Um, and we haven't even gotten into summer heat yet. <laughs> so uh, we, have, we have eight innings of baseball still to play, and it's going to be a very, very long year. I think you're right about that. Garrett, on soybeans, ending stocks lowered 25 million bushels on Friday's WASDE report, largely on exports. Does that jive with what you, what you were thinking? Um, you know, it was, again, I think the, you know, they cut the Brazil beans by 2 to 125. They cut uh, Brazil's uh, exports by 2.3 or 2.8, excuse me. I think the USDA, again, was a little aggressive because they did cut China uh, bean imports by 3. Um, you know, it's... The, the data is trending that direction, especially with Shanghai being shut down, port logistics, the country being shut down, poor hard margins, et cetera. It was aggressive. They, they could have very well made that cut in a month or two when the statistics really show that type of number, um, but they chose to do it now. And, and again, I think that kind of makes the S&D work a little bit easier, if you will. Um, but, um, but that being said, I mean, uh, exports, Three months ago, we looked at, uh, we were talking about, our, maybe even five months ago, uh, a, a 300 million bushel increase in corn ex or in, in carryout because the bean exports weren't there. Um, but now the bean exports are right there uh, at the current commitments, and, and they, they're not going to drop from this point forward. So I think that the bean carryout has nowhere to go but, but down from this point forward. So I'm guessing, Garrett, you're holding off on new crop bean sales? Absolutely. What are you watching for a target? Um, I kind of I, I want to see some 15s. I, I do the one thing I will I told customers last week is that um, being we had the very bearish acres numbers uh, in, on the on the on the planting intentions, and we had the big rally last week. Beans acted better than what they should have, considering. Um, but I think that if you we have we're about 30 percent sold. Uh, any sort of break look for, to buy some calls. All right, cover that risk. We've been speaking with Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk. Garrett, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. John Baranek of DTN Weather will join us here after the break. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hardworking families are feeling pain at the gas pump. Fortunately, American-made ethanol provides some relief. Today, gas with 15% ethanol, called E15, is the lowest price fuel available. But E15 will disappear on June 1st, unless Washington acts now. Call your lawmakers today and call the White House at 202-456-1111. Tell them we need E15 this summer. We can't afford another price hike at the pump. Brought to you by the Renewable Fuels Association. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. 
Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We enjoy each week the opportunity to speak with our friend John Baranek of DTN Weather. And this week is no exception. John, thanks for joining us here on AOA. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. I really appreciate being part of the show. Well, I know since last week, you have been warning, John, that this upcoming week was going to be a busy one weather-wise. It's getting started today. Who's got some activity to keep an eye out for from the skies today? Yeah, today today's actually the, the weakest of the days here. Uh, looking forward through the week, but you know we still have uh, plenty of showers and thunderstorms moving through the Midwest all the way down to the Gulf Coast here today. Could see a little bit of that becoming severe. We saw a little bit of that here this morning, but more likely this afternoon and even kind of around uh, Arkansas and kind of the surrounding areas around that uh, have the best chance. There, it looks like there will be mostly hail-driven, uh, but there could be a couple of tornadoes stuck in there as well. Oh, my. So that's hitting the southern Corn Belt, southern, southeast part of the U.S. But, John, I understand there's also something moving in from the Pacific Northwest or at least the West Coast here today. What's coming? Oh, yeah, it's a big one. It's moving into the uh, Pacific Northwest right now. They've got widespread uh, showers moving through there, and there's plenty of cold air that, uh, that moved in ahead into the plains here. That's going to mean a, a big winter, or not winter storm, uh, but it's going to have some wintry impacts here um, as, as, it, as it moves through the, the plains here later this week. So tomorrow we really start to see the system moving into the plains, and uh, it'll kind of gradually move its way into the western Great Lakes here by Wednesday and kind of wrap its way northward into Ontario, Canada. On the north side of this track, though, uh, with all the cold air in place, uh, we're talking about snowfall, and it's going to be heavy snowfall. You know, you're talking about 48 hours worth of snow and, and uh, batches of moderate to heavy uh, in there, too. The, the state of North Dakota basically is under a, a blizzard watch for about one to two feet of snow. Uh, and kind of extends back into Montana as well and kind of going through northern Minnesota. Uh, wind gusts are going to be blowing, especially on Thursday, about 50, 60 miles an hour. Um, so, you know, it, that's going to be a huge part of it, the, the snow. 
but also the severe weather. So as this moves through here, we'll get severe weather kind of starting in the eastern plains here tomorrow afternoon on Tuesday. And uh, we'll have another round of it kind of uh, right along the Mississippi River here on Wednesday. Um, maybe by Thursday, a lot of the severe threats done while that uh, everything kind of shifts off to the East Coast. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a wild week here. It sure is. John, this snow event running through the Northern Plains and the severe weather event through the Southeast, are these the same storm? Is it wrapping its way up and then back around to fire off in the east, uh, Eastern Corn Belt? Or are these two separate events that are coming through? No. Uh, well, so the one today is separate from the one that we're expecting later this week. But no, the, the, the heavy snow plus the several rounds of severe weather there are all one system. Uh, if you look at a satellite picture on Wednesday or Thursday, it's going to be pretty remarkable. You know, see the nice big comma shape across the middle of the country. Uh, that, yeah, it's all one system. Boy, and this is tough this time of year when you see potential for feet of snow across areas where livestock are being turned out. John, you mentioned the wind. It's going to be a heavy, wet snow. It sounds like folks really need to be taking care of livestock with this system. Yeah, livestock, is, especially those uh, vulnerable little ones there, are going to have uh, the biggest issues, you know, the, especially if you're out in a big feedlot and you can't protect them very well. Um, you know, the wind's whipping around, the heavy snow, um, it's not going anywhere. The cold temperatures that follow it as well um, is all just going to be just, you know, very, very impactful for, yeah, not only, you know, uh, crop farmers, but uh, livestock especially, you're right. Indeed. John, we have seen so much rainfall here over the eastern corn belt of the United States. I know growers are geared up. They're excited for planting. We're mid-April already. Do you see a dry down coming for that east of the Mississippi River area? Not anytime soon. Um, we've got not only this system to worry about, and that's going to produce heavy rainfall across the eastern half of the corn belt too, uh, but uh, we got another system potentially here kind of late this weekend into early next week that could do a lot of the same. Uh, that one will be on the colder side, so we could be dealing with snow across the eastern Corn Belt. Uh, models are kind of all over the place, so I don't want to ring too many alarm bells over that, but there is some potential that uh, it's cold enough for snow across the eastern Corn Belt. So, you know, yeah, everything's making things difficult here for the next at least 10 days. Um, if there's any potential out there for some drier weather, it might be the following week. Um, we will get a, a system to kind of move into the west, uh, and that will would typically produce a storm system kind of moving through the plains and into the Midwest here, uh, but that would be kind of uh, the week after, so or the, right towards the end of the month. So we may pick up something in here um, kind of in the April 21st through 25th kind of time frame. Uh, where we might be a little bit on the drier side, but you know we're still dealing with the cold temperatures and everything, so it'll be a little bit slower to to drain out the the water out of the soils. So it may not it may not be long enough. We might have to wait into into May for some areas to to really get some of the drier periods to come in. Well, and you hit the nail on the head, John. It's that cold that's sticking around with it that's going to make this dry down difficult. When, I guess, not when, do you see a bias for warmer weather coming? And if so, when would that start to warm up for us here to get planting underway? Yeah, I mean, outside of, you know, these these little bursts of, of heat we get out ahead of these systems, like we, we're getting right now. I mean, Texas is going to be in the 80s and 90s today and all the way up into the Midwest we're in the 60s and 70s. So, you know, it's, it's nice and warm, but, you know, the, the wetness uh, is not great with it. But, you know, yeah, the, the cold that comes in behind it just really kind of puts a damper on everything. So outside of those, you know, quick little day or two of warmer temperatures, we don't really see anything of, you know, lasting significance, you know, a sustained stretch where we're above normal. And so we really get into May. Um, the first week of May might stay on that kind of waffling side of normal. Um, but as we get towards the middle of the month and definitely towards the end of the month, we'll be uh, above normal. Uh, that might be a little too late for some people and that might not be, you know, helpful for a lot of folks, but, you know, we'll eventually get there. All right. We'll eventually get there. Summer comes for all of us in time. John, you talked about the moisture that's spreading here this week over the Northern Plains, over the Eastern Corn Belt, across parts of the Central Corn Belt. I didn't hear you mention anything about the Southern Plains. With all of this activity, is there the potential they could see some, some moisture there in that uh, Oklahoma, Texas panhandle region? 
astute observation. I didn't mention it because I don't think we're going to see much, unfortunately. Uh, you know, the drought areas that have been in there all the way since last fall could just continue to be there. Uh, this system right here is basically going to skip right over the, right over the southwestern plains, hard red winter wheat areas and uh, those livestock feedlots out there. So um, basically, west of I-35, I'm not, I'm not seeing a whole lot of, of uh, potential here for, for shower activity. But once we hit that kind of I-35 corridor and move eastward, uh, that's where we pick up the, the severe threat, the heavy rainfall, and, and everything else. So, yeah, unfortunately, those guys out in the southwestern plains, out west Texas, all the way up to western Nebraska, really don't see a whole lot of this uh, moving through. Boy. Drought begets drought, John. That's frustrating for a lot of those producers in that part of the country. I wanted to ask you a question. On Friday, USDA increased the uh, the output from Brazil's second crop of corn, the safrina crop. I was wondering, looking at the weather perspectives down there as we get into pollination, does it seem like everything should be well-suited to finish out their corn in Brazil? You know, I understood why some of the private estimates and, uh, you know, Conab uh, increased theirs as well as the USDA. Um, for, for corn production there in Brazil because they started off pretty good. Uh, they had really good soil moisture in central Brazil uh, coming out of their uh, soybean season. Southern Brazil started to get some showers early on, so everything started to look up real nice. Um, but over the last few weeks, boy, the showers have really gone isolated over central Brazil, and that's the largest portion of their uh, production area. About 60 to 70 percent of their corn production is right there in the middle of the country, and and they've gone dry over the last few weeks. Their soil moisture has been decreasing. And, you know, we, they have a very distinct dry season that ends, um, or that, I'm sorry, the dry season starts here usually at, in uh, the few, first few days of May. But in the La Nina season, typically about one to two weeks early. Now, we got a, a, a system here that's producing some showers over southern Brazil. That's good for them. It'll move through central Brazil here this week. They'll do a pretty good job of producing, you know, widespread an inch or maybe two in some areas of rainfall. But then that moves into northern Brazil, a lot of the main agricultural areas. And models are indicating dryness all the way going into early May. So this may be the only opportunity they have to build some soil moisture this week before we get into the dry season. And, you know, with the dryness they've had over central Brazil earlier and the dryness coming up here, I'm, I'm concerned that those estimates are way too high. Oh, boy. All right. Well, we'll continue to track this as we get close to harvest in South America. John Baranek, DTN Weather. We always appreciate your insight. Thanks for having me on, Mike. And folks, stick around. Jackie Fatka, Policy Editor with Farm Progress, will join us here on AOA after the break. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. University trials and grower use proves that adding tough 5EC to the post-tank mix significantly improves the control of resistant weeds such as Palmer amaranth, water hemp, and kochia. Tough 5EC hey, is a selective contact herbicide that synergizes with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, we saw USDA announce a 40.2 million bushel sale of corn to China this morning, 26.8 million of which were old crop. The rest was new crop. That sale following a similar 42.7 million bushel sale to China last Monday. Now, crude oil has been weaker through the overnight trade. We saw crude oil fall to fresh six-week lows earlier today, below $93 a barrel, which goes against the inflation worries of recent weeks. We are back up a little bit, down 431 a barrel though right now, 93.95. With corn and wheat leading us to the upside here today with soybeans and oil under pressure as crude oil is under pressure. 
Now, inflation is going to receive significant attention this week with two major data reports scheduled for the next two days. That has traders a bit uneasy to start the week as earnings season prepares to begin. The VIX trading near 23 to start the week. The dollar index near 99.9. Going to be watching inflation, also watching the war rage on in Ukraine. Also, we're looking at weather as we get into spring planting in the U.S. and also follow through and fallout from last Friday's USDA WASDE report here today. Right now, May quart up three quarters at 769 and a half. December up three, 719. May beans down 26 and a quarter, 1662 and three quarters. November down 18 and a half, 1477. May bean meal down 550 a ton, 462.70. May bean oil down uh, 100 points, 74.12. May Chicago wheat up 17 and a quarter, 1068 and three quarters. May Kansas City wheat up 24 and a quarter, 1131. May spring wheat up 11 and a half, 1138 and three quarters. April live cattle up 55, 138.37. Feeder cattle for April down 67, 155.87. And April hogs down 57 at 98.45. The Dow Jones down 31 points. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for tuning in to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here. Thank you for taking the time to join us. We are going to be talking about what is happening in Washington, D.C. with our good friend Jackie Fatka, the policy editor with Farm Progress. Jackie, thanks for joining us today. Always great talking with you, Mike. Well, I want to start this conversation because it was announced last Friday or perhaps on Saturday that President Joe Biden is going to be making a trip to Menlo, Iowa, a small town in the western part of the state. Jackie, I know pretty familiar with uh, to you. Do you have any idea what President Biden is going to be announcing? What are the rumors that are circulating? Well, fingers crossed, he's going to be at an ethanol plant. We know that for sure. And I've heard from a few sources this morning that there are very strong indications that he'll be making a, an announcement on maybe year-round E15 use. Um, the president's never had his his time before an ethanol plant. I mean, obviously through his campaigning in Iowa, but you know, since president, since he's become president, he's not been in an ethanol plant. So everyone is hoping that this will be an E15 announcement. Uh, specifically, the press announcement said that it, part of his discussion will be about reducing the Putin price hike on gases. And so I think gasoline and so I, Everyone is crossing their fingers that we'll, we'll have some positive news on year-round E15 use. All right, Jackie. Now, if that is what the president announces, and to be fair, we don't really have any clue as of yet. <laughs> there haven't been any official confirmations. But let's say President Biden announces year-round E15 through some sort of emergency waiver. Given the fact that we're already mid-April, can the, the mechanics of government work fast enough to allow sales of E15 by June 1st? I think so. I mean, this isn't necessarily anything that, uh, I mean, everybody has been asking for this by May because June 1st was when they would have to stop selling. And so a lot of things that were going to have have to happen at the terminal, they would have, uh, you know, that needed to be done by May. So the fact that we are getting this announcement, hopefully, fingers crossed, by here, you know, April 12th, he's supposed to be in Iowa April 12th, 
that should hopefully allow enough time to make sure we get the paperwork done. Um, but, you know, actually on the ground, everybody's been asking for E15. And in Iowa, they've actually even tried to pass some legislation to require there being E15, which, you know, this is all about the reed vapor pressure. And that's why we've we've had for a short time, we did have summer use because Trump actually allowed this The courts overruled and said that EPA didn't have the regulatory authority to do that. And so that's why they're back to this summer not being able to have E15 offered at your pumps. But, you know, Iowa is one of the states that actually has a lot of E15 use year round, as well as Minnesota. Some of these states have more infrastructure in place to to be able to do this. And, you know, it was interesting when I was at Commodity Classic, uh, I was sitting in with the corn growers and, and everybody was all upset that Senex, which a lot of folks know Senex and the Senex gas stations, they had sent a notice out to everyone saying we cannot offer E15. And farmers were just outrageously upset about this, but it's it's not Senex's fault. They were they're having to follow the rules. So if the Biden administration can come in, EPA can come in, offer this emergency waiver, then this would this would be a, a nice boost to ethanol demand, but also help offset some of that Russian oil imports imports that we no longer have right now. And Jackie, if we do get an announcement from Biden about E15 sales over the summer tomorrow, likely it is going to be an emergency one year thing because they need to do legislative action, right, to allow it to be year round after the court decision. Correct. And that's why, um, and there has been some bills introduced in the House and the Senate to do exactly that of allowing E15 year round. Um, And now what kind of vehicle we could see that across the finish line, you know, maybe this is another impetus to try to get something permanent or a more, you know, a fix that has longer staying power than just this year. All right. Well, we will be watching. President Biden will be in Menlo tomorrow. We'll provide an update as soon as we hear what he's going to talk about. My goodness, though, Jackie, if he's announcing a summer E15 sales and they've known about it since Friday, it would have been nice if they would have just announced it rather than making the entire oh, industry what wait. what fun would that be? All right. Mean, it's have politics. Some, some hoop and holler to, um, but you know, this is good news. This is good news. And, and last week, uh, EPA Administrator Regan had kind of hinted that the EPA was trying to look at all of their authorities within the Clean Air Act. And so, you know, we're, but I have also written columns that we've not heard very much from Biden on this specifically. You know, a couple of weeks ago when they talked about Russia and oil prices and they talked about the strategic reserves that they were releasing, there was no hint at all about ethanol. And so I think a lot of folks were really kind of getting upset and concerned of, you know, why aren't we hearing more from the president about a homegrown fuel option that's available now that can offer quick relief? Right. The solutions are in front of us. Let's use them. Jackie, to that end, while we're talking, EPA also had some comments from uh, Michael Regan, director of the EPA, on how they plan to work with farmers addressing nutrient pollution. Can you talk a little bit? Has the EPA focused on nutrient pollution reductions changed? So this memo, and I've had quite a few different conversations with different stakeholders just to see, you know, we get memos out and and at the end of the day, you know, what does this really mean? And, you know, the good thing is uh, one of the components of the memo is that they really want to continue to keep collaborating with stakeholders. They want to keep working with what is going on on the ground and not requiring what, what we know as numeric nutrient criteria. So basically setting certain standards that have to be met in order to comply. And it sounds like that is an option on the table, but not a requirement on the table. And so it's that that stick versus carrot, the voluntary versus mandatory, but hopefully putting some money from the bipartisan infrastructure bill that was passed and looking for ways to improve water quality alongside of stakeholders, farmers in this case, but not only farmers, also recognizing that farmers are not the only ones who are polluting water and and farmers are trying to do some things to clean up what water comes off their fields. And so, you know, I I think for most of the people I talk to, they are encouraged by EPA's actions on this. They're not mandating or coming down with a heavy hand on what needs to be put in 
to place, but really working with farmers on that, the four R's, you know, right place, right time, right product, making sure that they are doing what they can to prevent runoff. And also, you know, a lot of these farmers want to do the right thing, but they don't have maybe the money to implement some of those strategies that we know are effective. And so by using some of the money from the bipartisan infrastructure, this is also another opportunity to hopefully get a bigger bang for their buck and hopefully really stretching those dollars and helping in, improve water quality while also coming alongside farmers in this case to, to make those improvements in the and, and keeping those nutrients where we want them to be in the fields. Keeping them where we want them. And if we need to move them, doing it voluntarily, I think is good news for a lot of producers out there tuning in. Jackie, let's go south of the border, down to Mexico. Secretary Vilsack, a USDA secretary, is down there talking biotech approvals. We've discussed this a time on the program. Mexico's really slowing down on their approvals of GMO crops, aren't they? Yeah, and he was actually there last Monday and Tuesday. And, you know, Secretary Vilsack has a really good relationship with the previous, with the with his counterpart, the Mexican Ag Secretary. And I think that that's been really beneficial. Uh, this last visit that he had, he not only met with the his counterpart, the Ag Secretary, but he actually met with the president of Mexico, who he is the one who has actually campaigned on this call to eliminate all GMO corn. And for for the, the feeding sector in Mexico, this has real implications. And so Secretary Vilsack came out of that meeting really positive about the impression that he made. He knows that this is not going to be an instant change of policy, but he's really hoping that as he continues to communicate how difficult it would be for Mexico to feed their cattle without GMO corn. Not only is it is it more expensive to buy non-GMO corn, but it's also sometimes hard to even identify enough enough of that product to, to feed all of their, their cattle with non-GMO corn. And so he is really trying to communicate and leave that impression of, you know, this is not only, uh, this has cost to the consumer, this has cost to the producers, this is an inefficient way to really look at feeding your your population. And so he continued to reiterate that he did not come away with any, yay, we've had a breakthrough, but I think he really felt positive about the impression that he made about the implications that it could have on Mexico if they don't do that. And they're not ready to say that they're going to do a USMCA, uh, you know, trying to challenge these actions on the USA. Um, USMCA, but they might be getting close. If we start to see them continue to not approve biotech events and really fully implement a ban by 2024, there may be some USMCA avenues to keep them, to enforce that original deal. Okay, so we'll have to continue watching this, but the president has slated that end of GMO corn for, I believe, January 1st, 2024, Jackie, so it is getting close, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, part of this is animal feed versus human consumption. And so, you know, part of that is human consumption, but if you consider a cow who has eaten the eating that GMO corn or non-GMO corn, you know, what does that, is that human consumption or not? And so that's kind of where, you know, they have said that they will allow it to be animal feed, but they may change that. So that's why this discussion is really important. All right. It will be ongoing. Jackie Fatka, Policy Editor with Farm Progress. Thanks for talking with us today. Always great, Cotton. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. 
Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, Soil Date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. There's a difference between field experts and experts in the field. At FS, we're experts in the field. Our crop specialists are driven to maximize every acre and bring the latest agronomic technologies and innovations to your farm. Whether recommending the appropriate hybrid or variety, nutrient management for optimum growth, or advice on disease and pest management, our crop specialists are always focused on pointing your operation forward. So visit fssystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Hard-working families are feeling pain at the gas pump. Fortunately, American-made ethanol provides some relief. Today, gas with 15% ethanol called E15 is the lowest price fuel available. But E15 will disappear on June 1st unless Washington acts now. Call your lawmakers today and call the White House at 202-456-1111. Tell them we need E15 this summer. We can't afford another price hike at the pump. Brought to you by the Renewable Fuels Association. University trials and grower use proves that adding tough 5EC to the post-tank mix significantly improves the control of resistant weeds such as Palmer amaranth, water hemp, and kochia. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide that synergizes with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to our show today. You know, we just finished our conversation with Jackie Fatka there, the policy editor at Farm Progress, and she mentioned the conversation that Secretary Vilsack had down in Mexico about biotech approvals, and specifically that these approval slowdowns, or I guess the move to push Mexico away from GMOs, really originates at the top. It's coming from President Andres Manuel Lopez, Lopez Obrador, AMLO, they call him down in Mexico, and he remains very, very popular in Mexico. In fact, on Saturday, 92% of Mexican voters backed the president. Uh, they did a, uh, a recall election, and it had very, very low turnout, so that is worth noting. Uh, the threshold was 40% excuse me, the threshold was 18% of total voters, and it needed to be at 40% for it to be totally binding. But he is celebrating and it is being considered a win for the president. So it would be worth noting, I think, for those of us who are concerned about GMO approvals down in Mexico, to note that it looks like AMLO is sticking around. He is serving one single six-year term. That is the current uh, term limits for the president of Mexico, although there has been chatter that his popularity is so much that maybe he would seek a second term. So far, he has not, uh, AMLO has not said that is something he is looking to do. He plans on just serving out the remainder of his term. But this focus on slowing down or eliminating GMO corn from human diets is, is a focus that he's maintaining, I guess I should say, up till now. We'll see if those conversations between U.S. policy leaders and Mexican policy leaders can yield any fruit. We'll continue to track that as the year goes on. Another story we have been tracking for some time, and I know all of us have been tracking it with our pocketbooks here over the past year, and that's inflation. We are going to be seeing the March inflation numbers, and analysts are expecting March inflation to be at 8.4% over a year ago. So that would be the highest or the fastest moving rate of inflation since early 1982. And largely, this is due to energy costs. I don't think this is a surprise to many of us, but energy is a huge component of that inflationary price move to the upside. And given the fact that energy prices have been so strong, economists expect to see this inflation continue. Anna Wong is a, an economist, and she said, quote, the climb down from the multi-decade multi highs in inflation will be stubbornly slow. In our base case, inflation falls below 7% only in the fourth quarter of 2022, keeping the Federal Reserve firmly committed to rate hikes this year. That is a, a sentiment, I should say, that is shared by many economists. Several of them anticipate March's inflation level, this 8.4% that's going to print later this week. They expect this to be the peak of the inflation coming for this year. And it should start to slow down as we get into April, May, and beyond. But of course, that can change rather suddenly. To that end, it was uh, it is announced that the Fed is likely looking at rate hikes here over the coming months. In fact, it is now anticipated that the Federal Reserve will bump rates 50 basis points both in their May meeting coming up in mid-May and at their June meeting. So that would be one full percentage point increase in the Fed funds rate by the middle of June. Of course, market watchers are watching Fed speakers very, very closely to hear if there is any indication or perhaps a confirmation of that expectation that rates will go up by 50 basis points in May and June. To that end, there are a few Fed speakers speaking today. Raphael Bostic, Michelle Bowman, and Christopher Waller are all presenting today. Uh, well, here, they just presented in New York. And Charles Evans of the Fed will be speaking on the economy later on today. So watchers will be watching those events to hear if there is anything new coming from the Federal Reserve. Another place we discussed earlier on the show with Garrett Toy is harvest down in South America. Brazil harvest is underway as of yet no may major reports of slowdowns in the transportation side. Ordinarily, we hear stories of trucker strikes this time of year, but Brazil hasn't seen those develop. The challenge for trucking and freight is developing in Argentina. In fact, they are dealing with shortages of diesel fuel. I spoke to Corey Melby, our friend uh, with Brazil International down in Brazil. I asked him if this was being played out in Brazil as well, and he said, no, this is primarily an Argentinian phenomenon. Argentinian diesel 
producers are looking at markets outside the country and they're selling all their diesel overseas to capture the higher prices rather than marketing it in country at lower prices. And so what's happening now is farmers are wrapping or excuse me, they're working on their harvest, they're getting grains to the rivers, and they do not have the diesel. In fact, it's expected that protests will be starting this week along key trucking routes, and they are protesting for lower diesel pricing, but also just availability. They do not have the fuel in Argentina to get harvest A off the fields and B moved into the pipeline. So we'll continue to watch this story. South America, Argentina in particular, huge exporters of bean meal and oil. That is their niche. They sell the products. They need to be able to get those products exported. Before we let you go for the week, interesting story that is coming out of Japan. When I was a kid growing up on the farm in Southern Iowa, we used to check cattle with a 1970s Honda CB125 motorcycle. And I always loved the ability to zip around the pasture. Well, technology continues to come and now it is coming for the motorcycle business. There's a company called ALI Technologies in Japan. They have launched a flying motorcycle. They call it a drone uh, that you can ride. It can hit 80 kilometers an hour. It can travel 40 minutes per charge. And to me, the ability to fly over ravines, fly over rough pasture, this sounds like the ultimate way to check livestock out on the range. The only downside is Sticker price at the start is going to be $777,000. So we might have to see fat cattle and feeder cattle prices climb a little bit more before the American cattle producer can seize on this flying dirt bike to check livestock. Folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Tomorrow we'll dig into a little more details on the A-plus bill that was introduced in the House of Representatives. Thanks for tuning in to AOA, folks. We'll see you same time, same place tomorrow for AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.